Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. Before we get into today's interview, I just want to let you know that it's been split into two episodes. Part one is what you'll be hearing today as my guest, Senna Lynn, shares her IBD journey. And in part two, we'll get into the details of the lifestyle and dietary changes that Senna made in her journey that has helped her achieve the health she enjoys today. My guest today is Senna Lynn, who's battling not just Crohn's, but also gastroparesis and fibromyalgia. She's here to share her journey with IBD, how she's turned her life around and went from bedridden to businesswoman, and how she's helping women love their guts and kick IBD's butts. Thanks so much for joining me today, Senna, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you and to hear your story. I started kind of peeking around on your blog. I've been following you on Instagram. So I'm excited for what you have to share with us today. So let's go ahead and let's jump right in. And can you start by sharing your Crohn's story and talk about how you were diagnosed? Okay, yeah. Um, so my story kind of starts at birth. <laughs> uh, when mm -hmm. I was born, um, my mother had she wasn't able to breastfeed me so I was bottle fed and from the time of from the time that I was born basically whenever my mom would feed me the bottle after she would burp me 75% of the bottle I would throw up I wasn't able to keep it down and she had me tested by a bunch of different doctors but they weren't able to find anything and considering this was 1991 the health like the the health advances weren't what they are today. Mm -hmm. So um, they were like, no, she's fine. Just keep an eye on her and just feed her more often. Um, so it kind of started from there. Like I definitely think I was born with some sort of um, gut sensitivity. And mm -hmm. But during my like early childhood, I was pretty healthy. Like I was able to eat and live like a normal child. We didn't know there was anything wrong. But um, one and about in 2001, I was 10 years old and I, I fell and broke my leg, which then caused me to develop like TMJ issues where my basically like my um, jaw was unaligned with my skull. So like that just caused a lot of like chronic pain in my face, which led to migraines. And um, I started having like menstrual cramping really mm -hmm. early on. Like I was only 10 years old and I hadn't. I wouldn't have gotten my period for another four years. I didn't get until I was 14. So mm -hmm. um, the doctors um, diagnosed me with endometriosis because to the extent of my pain, uh, they were like, okay, there's you definitely have some female issues going on. Now looking back on it, I, I know I don't have endro and, or endometriosis, but I, mm -hmm. I think what it was was my Crohn's manifesting itself in my like lower, like the lower part of my mm -hmm. digestive tract. And I was mistaking it for like menstrual cramps. And so um, they started, my doctor just gave me Excedrin migraine and Motrin 800. And she didn't really like, she just said, take every four to six hours as needed. There wasn't a, Hey, be careful. Like these are really strong chemicals that are, you know, that's going to, it could possibly mess up your gut if you take too long. There was no advice like that. It was here, take this medication because you're in pain. And so mm. I was popping Excedrin, migraine and Motrin 800 literally every four to six hours on a consistent, ba consistent basis for almost a year. I was just like, taking them like candy because I was in a lot of pain. I wasn't able to eat. I wasn't able to like talk that much. My leg was hurting. And so it was just a lot. And so looking back on it now, I know that 
all of those medications were really hard on my already sensitive gut. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a little bit. Um, when I turned 16 years old, so it was about 2007, I started having like extreme abdominal pain, which ended up leading to me having my gallbladder removed. And I was actually the youngest patient that my doctor had ever um, done surgery on. And she actually asked me to donate my gallbladder to science because I had a dozen quarter size stones in my gallbladder. And your gallbladder is really small. So that was like extreme. And she was really, really surprised by that. So they asked if I would donate to science. So I was like, okay, that kind of made me feel cool. Did you donate your gallbladder? (laughs) I did. I kind of felt cool because Um, I was like, oh, science needs me. But I didn't really (laughs) realize like what that meant for my poor body. You know, like it was going through early signs. Yeah, definitely. So Once I had my gallbladder removed, everything kind of went downhill from there because um, no one really explained to me about diet. Like both my parents had their gallbladders removed as well, but they just said, so I think the doctor assumed that I didn't need like to Mm -hmm. be educated on it because my parents had, but really all they told me was, oh, you're just going to have to watch out when you eat greasy foods. Hmm. So I didn't really have like this whole new dietary plan to follow after having lost an organ, which now I know has definitely affected me. And so um, when I was 18, so in 2009, they uh, that's when like the Crohn's system, uh, symptoms really started flaring heavy. And I was I was very, very sick. I was constantly yo-yoing in my weight. And I mean, and when I, by yo-yo, I mean, I would gain 50 pounds and then lose 50 pounds and then gain. So it was like back and forth. Yeah. Because I was having a lot of flares and during the time that I was flaring, I couldn't eat. And then when I wasn't flaring, I was like stuffing my face and I wasn't eating Mm -hmm. healthy either. I was eating like pizza and McDonald's. And so I definitely (laughs) was like contributing to it. But I just didn't understand what was happening. And so I started to see a gastroenterologist and we did every test imaginable. I mean, I had multiple colonoscopies, endoscopies. He did a capsuloscopy, which is basically where you swallow a pill and inside the pill has a camera. And they were taking 50,000 photos. It took a total of 50,000 photos as it went through my entire digestive tract. So he was trying to see like if there was anything that he missed in the scopes because my symptoms were so severe, but he wasn't able to find anything when he actually went like inside. So um, he ended up diagnosing me with celiac, but it came out that I didn't have celiac disease. And then he diagnosed me with Mediterranean familial fever. I don't even wow, understand what, that? what that is to this day. I guess he the way he explained it was, the people from the Mediterranean have a certain protein in their blood, and sometimes that just reacts with the body. I don't even mm. un- I I really don't understand it because I didn't understand it then, and he just mm-hmm. like put me on this medication for it, and um, it didn't end up it didn't work, and he tested me again, and there wasn't anything there, so he was like, okay, you don't have you don't have that. I Basically, I don't know what you have. There isn't much I can do for you. We can just chalk it up to IBS. And I was really upset with that because I was like, at that time, especially, I was like, I don't have irritable bowel syndrome. Like I have something more severe because I had done the Google search on IBS and it was really just like, oh, your stomach hurts a little bit and you go between like constipation and diarrhea. For me, I was vomiting. I was miss, like losing weight. I was missing days of school. Like I wasn't able to get out of bed. So I, I was really unhappy with that. And I felt like it was just like a cop out for him because he couldn't figure it out. So then I started um, seeing every single specialist I could. Like anyone who would see me, I went to them. I went to a neurologist. Wow. I went to an oncologist. I went to a rheumatologist. I, I mean, I was going to everyone and luckily like I had really great insurance so I could do that, but mm-hmm. all the tests were coming back like healthy. And it got to a point where the doctors were telling me and my mom that 
it was all in my head and you know, I'm making it up. I just want attention. There's nothing wrong with me. And that was really hard because, you know, I already had a little bit of a flair for exaggerating when I would tell a story because I'd be like, oh, you know, I wanted growing up, especially like I wanted it to be more exciting, but I wasn't exaggerating about my pain. And so I was really scared that my mom would have was going to believe the doctors when they said that because she already was like, oh, well, Senna exaggerates. Um, so I was, I mean, that was more so growing up. I'm not like that as much now, but that was just definitely a concern. And it made me feel really alone and really invisible because they were just saying basically that I'm, you know, that I was making it up. And that was such a hard, hard pill to swallow. And then it, what made it even worse was throughout my journey with Crohn's, like there were so many times where I, and still today where I literally will ask myself, am I making it up? <laughs> you know, like when someone tells mm -hmm. you that you're lying for so long, you're like, wait, am I? Because there was a really long period of time where I was not healthy enough to be healthy, but I wasn't sick enough to be sick, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like in this weird limbo. And so I just felt really unheard and alone. And so I eventually, and because I was having such, like my flares were so random and sometimes they would last for months. Sometimes it would be a week. Sometimes like I went a year without any major symptoms, you know? So, mm -hmm. so it was weird for me, you know? And, you know, I think a lot of people will relate to that because there's so many people that I've met and spoken to over the years that it took a long time for them to get a diagnosis. And during that time, I've noticed a lot of us with IBD, we are very just kind of go get it done kind of people. And, and so you'll end up kind of carrying on and you'll go through life. And so you go through the motions. And so that I think feeds into the idea that other people think, oh, well, you must be fine because you're doing all of your daily activities and you're going through life. And, yeah, which absolutely. is really, really terrible. Just like you're talking about how then we start to second guess ourselves and we start thinking, am I making this up? What is this? Because I know I've felt like that at times and I've spoken to so many people that have that same feeling. So it's unfortunate, but I think a lot of people will really connect with that and, and understand that part of your story. So keep going. Tell me a little bit more about how long did that go on and then kind of take me through the next, you know, keep going with your story? Yeah. Um, so that went on. I went undiagnosed for 10 years with with wow. symptoms and flares and stuff. And um, eventually, like I said, I, I think I searched. I, I was searching really hard for the first five years. Um, I was going to, like I said, like any doctor that would see me um, and – I live in Michigan, so fortunately, like I have U of M Ann Arbor, which is a really great um, medical, like university or medical clinic and hospital and stuff. So I had really great doctors, but they just at that time, I think what was happening was all of my testing was not being done during a flare, and mm -hmm. I think that's why I went um, undiagnosed for so long. Um, but so, yeah, so then that went on for about 10 years and like during that period of time, I was eating really terribly. I was drinking Coke all the time. I was definitely adding to my already existing problem, but I didn't see it that way. I was just like, for me, I knew that I was going to be in pain after I ate regardless of what I was eating. So mm -hmm. I was like, if I'm going to hurt let me and actually enjoy what I'm eating anyway, you know, which yeah. now I realize like that was not the best choice. But at that time I was just like, whatever, like I'm going to do it. And I had like this whole system, like I would eat something really unhealthy that I knew would really affect me. And then I knew like I had 20 minutes to get to the bathroom. And if I didn't, then, mm -hmm. you know, it would not be that much fun. But so I like created this plan for myself to just survive, I guess. And then, um, 
in 2016, I had a really, really stressful year. And um, I feel like there it was an accumulation of things, but a lot of it had to do with stress. I was smoking the hookah like very regularly, unfortunately. Um, I was drinking a lot of pop. I myself like as a whole was very unhealthy. I was doing a lot of all-nighters because I was in college and I just mm-hmm. wasn't taking care of myself. And so um, then in the summer of 2016, I remember I had gained 100 pounds in four months. It just like packed on really fast. And I didn't even notice it because I mean that that I, I was gaining weight every day. And so it was happening so quickly. I didn't notice it until I looked in the mirror and I was like, you know, 70 pounds mm-hmm. overweight, like over what I was. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember we went to Turkey to visit some family. And um, when the whole entire time my sister and I were there, I literally could not eat one thing. There was nothing that I could eat. I I was drinking water all day, but I couldn't actually stomach any food. And we were there for two weeks. And I remember my aunt looking at me at dinner and she was like, I don't understand. Like, how are you so big? But you're not eating. Like, I haven't seen you eating at all. And she wasn't saying that to hurt Mm -hmm. my feelings. She was saying that as like, she was worried about my health because she's like, this isn't normal from, from how you're your eating habits are, you should have lost weight. And we were walking so much. She's like, you should have been Mm -hmm. losing weight. She goes, but actually I see that you're gaining. And even though it was really hard to hear, that was such an important moment in my life because I felt seen, you know, I felt like for the first time, especially someone in my family was looking at me and was like, whoa, something is not okay. Like you need to find out right away. And, um, Unfortunately, she was right. Uh, when I came home, I I think I had one month of like normal life. And then that was it. I was extremely, extremely ill. And the, it was the worst flare of my life. It ended up lasting for two years. And it was mm. it was really, really difficult for me. I literally, <laughs> when I think of it, imagine like a water balloon right and you put the water mm-hmm. balloon under like the faucet and you turn the water on and it's just getting like bigger and bigger and bigger and it's fine like it's mm-hmm. holding on but then all of a sudden there's too much water and it pops that's exactly yeah. what i feel like felt like happened to me um i was vomiting literally on the hour every single hour and it wasn't even food it was just like bile and stomach acid and I was throwing up like so much that I had a huge cleaning bucket next to me and my mom was cleaning that like multiple times a day because I just, I was filling it up and I, I couldn't stop. I literally lived in the bathroom. Like I was so fortunate that my room, I had like a bathroom connected to my room because Mm -hmm. I didn't have enough energy to walk. So I would like, fall out of bed and then like scoot myself into the bathroom because I was just so sick and I couldn't keep anything down. It was really, really hard. I was in the hospital for almost a month. I remember um, I went in in the beginning of December and I didn't get out until Christmas Eve and I was lying in the hospital and they had me on everything. And this hospital trip was the trip where I got diagnosed. So um, in the hospital, they ended up finding out that I had gastroparesis, which um, I don't know if you know what that is, but gastroparesis is basically where your stomach doesn't contract. And so when you're eating, there's no movement in the stomach itself. So everything is just like sitting there. And which now I understand why I was throwing up bile so much was because mm-hmm. all I had all of this like fermented food that wasn't being digested and it was just turning into like stomach acid and then it, it basically like overflowed and my whole body was just so consumed with acid that there was nothing else I could do but just expel it. And um, so they found that by I had to eat this egg that like inside had like I I don't know. I want to say it was radioactive, but that sounds so intense, (laughs) but it was just like something that they can see in the camera. 
And I think I've seen pictures of someone else had posted something on Instagram, like the x-ray of being diagnosed with gastroparesis. And I think it had like tiny little shapes or something that they, they, the person had swallowed and then they could kind of see that through the x-ray yeah. to see how, how far it traveled down. Is that kind yeah. of like what was in the capsule? Yeah. So it's, they take like an egg, like they hard boil an egg for you and, mm-hmm. and then they inject the egg with that like fluid or whatever it is that like shows up on the x-ray Wow! and then you eat the egg and for four hours you lay underneath this like camera and um, I had to do that four times because the first time there was absolutely no movement like where the egg dropped after the four hours was where the egg was and so they were like oh yeah 100% you have gastroparesis so then um a few days later, they're like, let's check again and see like what the rate of your, you know, like of your like digestive system is. And I remember it ended up being it took like four days for me to digest mm. that one egg. And so um, they my, that hospital ended up referring me to the Cleveland Clinic, which is like um, a renowned um, medical mm-hmm. facility. And they were like, you need to go see someone down there because this is pretty, pretty intense. And so I was like, okay. And they didn't have, they didn't have the right means to help me. So, um, we made an appointment to end up going down, but see, I'm in Michigan. So Cleveland clinic is in Ohio. So it was like a four hour drive, but we ended up making the appointment and, um, but that was later on down the road. So, so I got diagnosed with gastroparesis and then I remember my GI, the same one that I've had for the past 10 years, comes in and he's like, okay, so you definitely have gastroparesis, but what I'm not understanding is gastroparesis is a secondary disease and I'm not finding your primary. I think you might have Crohn's. Let's check you. And I, if I would have had the energy, I probably would have yelled at him because I had been <laughs> telling him this for 10 years. You know, I had already been able to diagnose myself based on my symptoms and what I've been reading online. That's and what I was going to ask. But you've been researching online what some of these symptoms were and, and how come, how come he didn't think of Crohn's before? <laughs> well, in the beginning, what he told me was I check off all of the checks for Crohn's but I didn't have any physical sign of it. So like my, my intestines were clean. They, there wasn't anything. And so he was like, I can't diagnose you with Crohn's when you don't have anything in your intestines. Hmm. And so I appreciate that because he was being more reserved because now I understand that the Crohn's medication yeah. is like insane. So yeah. I appreciate him being reserved. But at that time, I didn't appreciate that because I was like, well, if you would have told me this 10 years ago, maybe I wouldn't have developed gastroparesis. Mm-hmm. But now I understand, like, I think it was just all one of the same kind of, and maybe they play off of each other. But to me, it's just all one issue, right? I think it just boils yeah. down to gut health. Yeah. And um, so then I finally, he checked and everything. And then they're like, okay, you have Crohn's. So I, in that visit, I act the first time any like hospital visit had ever done anything for me, I got two diagnoses or diagnoses. And that was in 2018, if I'm following the timeline, is that 16. correct? 2016 is when yeah. you got all the diagnosis. Yeah. And then um, I ended up, so when I was in that hospital, I remember I was there on Christmas, like leading into Christmas and I had just received my Crohn's diagnosis, which was really hard for me because even though the doctor had given me exactly what I wanted to hear. Like I wanted a diagnosis because in my mind it was, if we can find out what's wrong, we can treat it and then I can be normal again. But what Mm -hmm. instead what I heard was you have an incurable disease that we will just treat you pretty much. What I was hearing was I'll never be normal again, which was really, really difficult for me. And then being there, for Christmas and the nurses who were so sweet. I love all of them, but they were bringing me gifts like for Christmas and the cards and all of this stuff. And I got like a gift from the hospital and different people on the floor, which was very comforting to know that there was, you know, people who supported me. But at the same time, it was really disheartening because 
it was solidifying the fact that I was really sick. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I told my mom, I'm, I'm done. I want to, I want to be out of the hospital. I will not be here like tomorrow. That's, I can't handle it. Please, um, um, please like discharge me. And at this time I had been, I had already been using cannabis irregularly mm-hmm. to treat my symptoms. Um, my parent, I had talked about it with my parents, but it wasn't something that, we had actually like fully discussed, like I had just kind of mentioned it in passing. And my parents are very, you know, strict religious Muslim parents. So at first, like it took time where I had to play the idea of, you know, it's not a drug, it's a plant. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm using it for medicinal purposes. And so I told my mom, I was like, mama, please, my friend lives two blocks away from the hospital. And if you take me there, like I can get some cannabis and I know I will feel better. Like I, I need to get out of this hospital. I can't stop like throwing up or anything. And so she was like, let me ask your dad. So she calls and asks my dad and my dad was like, I don't care what she wants, mm-hmm. like anything she wants, anything she needs. If she thinks it's going to make her feel better then take her. So my mom's like, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I, awesome. I'm really what fortunate. Parents. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, really fortunate because they're extremely supportive and they have been here for me every step of the way. And so then, um, my mom, we discharged, like I got discharged and you know, like when you leave the hospital, they wheelchair you out anyway, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't get out of the wheelchair. Like my mom had to, my mom and grandpa had to like half carry me to put me into the car. And then to get into my friend's house, I literally had, like, I had my arm around my mom's neck and she was like, holding me up and I'm like limping to get into my friend's house. And so, okay, I just want to preface this. I do not condone smoking of any sort, like not tobacco, not weed, not anything like smoking in itself is really terrible for the lungs. But at this point of my life, I hadn't gotten there yet. You know, I I was, Mm -hmm. I wasn't fully educated on cannabis. I just knew it enough that it was helping me. And so I was smoking it at that time. There's a lot of information out there of little anecdotes here and there that people bring it up. Like, does cannabis help with Crohn's? Can it help with, you know, IBD? So there's just a little bit, probably like what you're saying, there's just enough to be intriguing. Like, what is this? Does it help? And can it help? So please continue with what you were saying. Yeah. So um, when I got into my friend's house um, and they saw me, they were like, oh my God, sit down and take a dab, which is like basically like really concentrated, you know, it's just a really hard hit, I guess. And they're like, here, take a dab. And I did. And it, it, okay. So a dab is basically like a lot of, it's closer to like a hookah, right? You're hitting it from, Mm -hmm. you know, something that either has water or whatever, like it's going through like a pipe. So you're getting a lot more air into your lungs, Mm -hmm. which for, you know, when you're using cannabis, that means you're getting more medicine. Um, so I took like a really big dab and immediately I started feeling better. Like the nausea was lessening. My stomach was like the cramps were lessening. Like I felt immediate relief. And then, um, they gave me like some, some edibles and some bud. And after 25 minutes, I was able to walk out of their house by myself, like without my mom helping me. And I was able to get into the car. And when my mom saw that, she told my dad and she was like, she go, she's like, Omar, I'm telling you, I have never seen anything more crazy in my life. She's like, she could not walk into that building. And then she walked out fine. And she, he, like, she was like, I believe, like, I believe her. Not that they didn't, but mm-hmm. they had never experienced it, you know? And so my dad was like, okay, good. Like, I'm glad it's helping. So, um, so- was that something that you then continued and maybe you were about to go here with your story, but was that something that you decided to continue or it sounds like maybe, maybe you didn't continue with that? No, I absolutely did. So what, mm-hmm. what started happening was um, I realized at that point as well, because that was a big indicator for me too, because I had never been that drastic. And so for me seeing that how sick I was and how I was feeling before the cannabis and then how immediately I was starting to feel better afterwards, I was like really, I really re reevaluated 
the medications that I was taking and all of the medicine that the doctors were giving me, nothing gave me this kind of relief except for the morphine. When I was in the hospital, after I got my diagnosis, they put me on Humira um, because I couldn't take anything orally. Everything had to be either like intravenously or like as a shot. So, um, and then they had me on like morphine and Zofran and um, Dilopin or something. I, I don't know. There was, I, I don't, I don't really know. There was so mm-hmm. many different medications. Like I was there for so long that we were trying so many different things, but nothing was helping. And I just think that I have a very sensitive gut. You know, I think really I'm just super sensitive to chemicals and medications and stuff. And and when I was using the cannabis, it was the only thing that was giving me relief. But the thing that was hard was because I was smoking it, I was only having relief for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And then wow. it so was it gone. Didn't last. It, it only lasted that yeah. brief of a period? Yeah, it didn't really last because when you smoke it, you're basically like you're taking the plant that spent its whole life growing like these nutrients and everything. And then you're like combusting it with this extreme heat and it's just turning into ash. So really the medicinal value of smoking cannabis is like 10 to 20%. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you were to ingest it or to um, eat it or cook with it or something, then you're getting a hundred percent of the benefit of that plant. So when I started doing more research about it, And I started learning that smoking, you know, smoking the plant itself is not doing you any favors. It's just like a very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Brief relief. So I started cooking with it and turning it into um, oils and um, making it into like hash and changing it into different ways that I could consume it. And even though it does take longer to feel Mm -hmm. it takes I it takes for me up to two hours especially like if I'm consuming it um just to start to feel relief but it's a way more powerful form of relief when you take it orally versus when you smoke it also when you take it orally at least for me there aren't as many psychoactive effects like for me Mm -hmm. it's all in my body like my nerves feel relaxed, my, my, or my nerves aren't firing, my muscles feel relaxed, my brain fog is like lifting. So those are like the symptoms that are being relieved when I'm taking it like internally, instead of it being more of like a head high, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But so that's how I started with using the natural, something natural. And after Mm -hmm. I realized like, how powerful the cannabis was. Um, I slowly, very slowly started moving into other herbs and other spices. And at this time, um, my now husband, then best friend, and I were really talking about how, like we were really going into the depths of what exactly Crohn's is and Mm -hmm. how it affects the body how foods affect the gut and and he's a um, biologist who specialized in botany so he's very like yeah he really knows his plants and he really knows like um the the human human anatomy and so what a great resource to have right at your side (laughs) yes it was it was so nice and we really I mean obviously like we're married now so (laughs) that tells you how good it was but um, he really really helped me so much because he was educating me on a deeper level than what I was getting on Google like I was able to absorb the information but I wasn't sure how to um, apply it you know, and Mm -hmm. so he was really taking all of like the scientific jargon and turning it into digestible pieces for me to actually take and apply into my everyday life. And so, um, okay. So at this point in my life, there was a whirlwind of change. As soon Mm -hmm. as I accepted that, okay, 
modern or like Western medicine has failed me. And Mm -hmm. there are other, other avenues that I can explore. And, um, so at the same time as I'm starting to look into other plants and, you know, herbs and spices and stuff, I'm also starting to really reflect on my psyche, my, myself, my personality, my beliefs, my motives, my goals. Like I'm really starting to break, break everything down because after, after that hospital visit, um, in December, I spent almost a year just kind of like healing in bed. You know, I, I really wasn't able to do much. I wasn't getting out of the house. I wasn't doing more than, you know, sitting in bed to sometimes going downstairs and watching TV downstairs on the couch. But like, that was my trip. You know, I was really just, my body just gave up. It was like, you know, we've had enough. (laughs) We need to just rest and we're not going to move. And so I had, I had to spend a lot of time reflecting on my behaviors and my actions and choices. And this was really hard, but eventually I got to the point where I realized a lot of my pain and a lot of my illness was due to like do by my own hand. Mm -hmm. And when I took, when I realized that I had to take responsibility for my life and for where I was at and not just blame it on the universe or blame it on, you know, everyone else or the doctors, it's their fault. They didn't catch it in time. I had to really stop and blame it on myself and be like, look, like I'm not going to put a hundred percent of the blame on me because obviously I was born with something, but Mm -hmm. I know a hundred percent that I negatively contributed to my health. And so I had to like really take a hard, bad, especially with kind of the bad diet that you talked about yeah. earlier on and kind of that, just the mental aspect of kind of how you looked at the disease. Yeah. Every, everything, everything in my life at that point was negative. And, and I hate to say that because mm-hmm. I tried to maintain a positive outlook, but when I look back on it, it wasn't, you know, everything, the thoughts that I was thinking, the feelings I had about myself and my world, um, my own, just everything, the way I felt in my body, the way I felt with, with, you know, like circumstances that were happening, everything was being viewed, view like this very dirty, dark, dingy glasses. And Mm -hmm. I needed to take those off and like have a real reality check and accept the fact that, okay, I made a mistake. I made a lot of really, really big mistakes that led to at that point was the most, like the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. And now what, you know, and I think what was more so scary for me was I hadn't loved myself enough to that point for my, my own like mind and soul to accept the gravity of me being wrong. If that makes sense. It was like my, my internal self, like my inner child was so wounded that it couldn't stand the idea of being upset with itself because it was already in a bad place. I don't know if that makes any sense, but so I really had to like mend my inner child and and heal all of the trauma that happened to me that I was kind of like bottling up inside. And like I said, because I was just in bed doing nothing, I didn't really have anything else to do. And so mm-hmm. I really dug deep into myself, like my personality. And, and during this time, I also started realizing that there had to be more to life than just waking up, eating, going to work, coming home, paying taxes, going to bed, you know, like Mm -hmm. there, there just had to have been more than that. And, and so I started really trying to search. And I remember wanting to search in like the self-help aisles of like the bookstores and stuff, but there was something that I just, I couldn't grasp 
getting a self-help book because I would always read the life of the author and the life of the author was never what I mm-hmm. aspired to be. So I was like, I'm not going to listen to you. Like, I don't like where <laughs> your life went, you know? And so mm-hmm. then I finally realized that my only answer was through God. You know, if, if I'm looking for answers, I have to search within and, you know, look to our creator. And so I really started strengthening my relationship with him. And as a Muslim, we have five obligatory prayers that you do every day. And so I really made sure that I was making those prayers and I was doing them on time and I was doing them with the right intention and I was fully present, which really helped me train my mind to meditate because in the prayers you have very specific, um, they're like verses that you say, um, and then you have like specific motions that you follow. So I was able to really like focus my mind onto one task and to one train of thought and repeatedly five times a day, which each prayer lasts about five minutes. So that's 25 minutes a day of just centering yourself. And that really helped a lot. That really brought peace to my soul, like peace to my mind, peace to myself emotionally. I started becoming confident in my own self. And I started accepting that, okay, this is the hand that I was dealt, but it doesn't mean that I have to fold, you know, like I can still play. And so, um, I really just started strengthening every single thing in my life. Like you want to talk about a detox, like I detoxed the heck out of my life. I detoxed my food I detoxed my like bath and body products. I detoxed my friends. I detoxed my thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was literally, there was nothing in my life that was not going unturned. You know, I wanted to make sure that what's in my life now is very intentional and very focused and centered on who I want to become. And that really was the beginning of my healing. And, um, I decided then that I was going to um, go on a completely anti-inflammatory diet, which mm-hmm. having gastroparesis, I could only eat like one meal a day anyway. So for the first- Before you jump, before oh, you jump in to talk about food, I want to- I do want to kind of chime in and point out how underrated I think that kind of finding that inner peace and getting your mindset different so that you can look at life through different lenses. I think it's so underrated and it's something that, you know, I've kind of recently gone through myself of just with gratitude and learning to meditate. And I've heard it from many other people too, who do bring those practices into their lives, just what a difference to our overall health that having that inner peace, having that calmness, being able to look at things through different lens, how that really can catapult so many other things in our lives to really get us on track for better health. So I really want to kind of emphasize what you did there and how that you mentioned was really the beginning of what was about to come for this big change for you. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely believe that the mindset change or the mindset shift that I went through was 100% necessary in order to get to where I am today. Because if I hadn't have changed the way I perceived myself and perceived my situation, I wouldn't have been able to assess what, what needs fixing and what, you know, needs strengthening or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree with you there because I have tried to diet my whole entire life and nothing ever stuck. Like I, I was always like, Oh, I can't do diets. I'm just not that girl who can diet. Like whatever, I'll be fat for life. But, um, when I changed my mindset and started viewing food as medicine and information for my body, I was no longer willing to, you know, just eat that cheesy bread and who cares if I'm going to be in pain afterwards, you know, because now I'm thinking if I eat this bread and cheese, there's absolutely zero nutrients that my body is going to take from it. And then I'm probably going to be hungry again in 20 minutes, but my likelihood of being able to actually eat 
is very slim. Mm -hmm. So I basically just wasted my one chance to eat, you know? And so it's definitely a mindset shift before anything else. And I really believe that I went through what I went through at such, it, it was extreme for me, but it's not extreme for other people. Like I've heard other stories that are like way worse, but, um, I really believe that I went through the changes and the experiences that I went through to help other women get through that too. Like I've mm-hmm. always known that I had a greater purpose. You know, I, I never knew what, but when I was a kid, when, when I, whenever my stomach hurt, which actually now that I think about it, it was actually every night, All but <laughs> yeah, whatever mm-hmm. my stomach would hurt, I would literally be like, I am Virgin Mary and my stomach hurting is my baby Jesus. <laughs> And I don't even know why I thought that, but I was just so convinced that I was going to be somebody, you know? And what I realized now is that all that was, was it was a really strong need to help people. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what both Mary and Jesus did. Like their whole lives were, were devoted to helping other people and making their lives better. So I was like, okay, like that's what, that's what I have to do. I have to help other women who are in that place where they just really feel stuck, but they're ready to make changes. I want to be there to help them because I didn't know how, you know, and having my husband as the helping hand really, really helped me get through a lot of phases a lot faster than I would have if I would have been alone, you know? Yeah. And you have definitely turned this into something good. And and we're going to talk about that because I really do want to get into what you're doing now. But let's go ahead and circle back to how that mind shift helped you look at food differently. And I think you were just about to start talking about food and the path you went down when when I kind of jumped in there. So yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. So basically, um, when I decided that I'm taking my health into my own hands and basically like playing my own doctor. Um, I was like, first things first is gut health, right? So I was like, in order to truly heal the gut, I have to eliminate everything that I've been, that I've been introducing to it and just start from scratch. Um, and my mother-in-law had to go through what's called an elimination diet. Um, after her pregnancy, her, her youngest son had a lot of allergies when he was born. And so because she was breastfeeding, she also had to do like this elimination diet for him. So, um, she really like helped walk me through it. And basically what I did was, um, like I said, I was only able to eat one meal a day. So I, I made what I call potato breakfast, but I really need a better name for it. It's more like a potato medley. But um, I would I would um, boil potatoes and then saute onion, garlic, zucchini, potatoes, tomatoes, sometimes mushroom and sometimes bell pepper. And I would just saute all of those together and with salt, pepper, basil, oregano. Um, that's that's oh cayenne pepper, mm-hmm. and that was my meal. And I would just eat that every single day for six months. And Mm -hmm. I know it, it sounds really boring to eat the same thing every day, but I absolutely love this dish. Um, Oh, and then I put lemon juice on top, but what, why I love it so much is because I have a lot of acid like in my stomach, I'm extremely acidic. And so Mm -hmm. potatoes are a really alkaline food and they absorb all the excess acid that's in my stomach. So when I eat like a potato, I feel way better than, you know, like when before, if I don't, like if I eat something Mm -hmm. else, right. Or if I were to eat a green, the green sometimes hurt me more than like this plain potato does. So my, my idea of like making my meal was I picked all of the foods that I had, I knew I wasn't having troubles eating. So Mm -hmm. For me, it started with, it was really just zucchini, tomato, or zucchini, potato, tomato, and sometimes mushrooms. And then Mm -hmm. as, as like the months went on, I would add another vegetable and I would see how that vegetable went. Like I can do red and yellow bell peppers 
or in orange bell peppers, but I can't do green for some reason. The green bell peppers oh, really bothered me. Yeah, it was really interesting. So, so as I was like only eating vegetables every week, I would slowly introduce a different food group. So I also and learned, you, I'm sorry. Did you avoid, did you avoid meat because it didn't sit well with you or had you always kind of avoided meat and eaten a plant-based diet or, or was it just something that didn't, that you didn't tolerate well? No, at this point, I I purposely left out meat because I knew that it was harder on the digestive system. I only mm-hmm. wanted vegetables because mm-hmm. I really wanted to give my, I wanted a reset, you know? And so with meat, there's, there's just so much that goes into meat. Like you have hormones and all these other things. I didn't want to add that yet. Like it, it is something that I eventually introduced and I have found that I actually have no problems eating chicken and fish, which I eat a lot of fish. Um, now chicken sometimes, but red meat, very rarely red meat's really tough on me. Um, it, it takes many, many days for me to digest a meal mm. with red meat. So I, I try to shy away from it, but um, at this specific period, when I started doing this, I really just wanted to have vegetables. I wasn't even eating fruits. Um, after the first month, then I started introducing fruits. We're going to stop here for part one of this interview, but we'll be back with part two next Monday as Senna continues to share her journey and experiences past diagnosis and what she did to go from bedridden to businesswoman. I've dedicated most of my life to fitness and health, but as I've grown older and felt the effects of fatigue as I've battled Crohn's, I no longer want to spend hours in the gym every day, which is how I first stumbled across the Cellar Size Rebounder. It's become the backbone of my fitness routine these days, giving me the ability to tailor my workouts from gentle movement to intense jumping that literally activates every cell in the body. And the best part is, It only takes 10 minutes a day for an incredible workout. Find out for yourself what a difference cellar size can make in your health by visiting Crohn'sFitnessFood.com forward slash cellar size. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohn'sfitnessfood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at crohn'sfitnessfood, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.crohn'sfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember... Be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.